What is up, you amazing viewers? I am your host, Chronic, from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram, YouTube, and pretty much all major streaming platforms. And this is going to be the first kind of episode um, I've done. Um, this is the Cannabis Chronicles podcast brought to us by uh, Visionary Hydroponics and TMB Naturals and pretty much everything. So, uh, or pretty much everything. Uh, TMB Naturals and Visionary Hydroponics bring us the show, and I, I get to discuss everything. I'm making sure that all the live is uh, set up properly. So this is the first time that I will have gone live on uh, YouTube and all that fun stuff. And uh, just in general, I've I haven't done a podcast like this where it's just live. Spotify, you guys don't get the live version. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know how to do Spotify live yet with everything. So, yeah. So in this today's episode is going to be if you read the um, title, it is how to breed with chronic, how to breed cannabis with chronic. And that's what we're going to be learning about today. Now, before we get into this, I always preface all these types of episodes that no, I am not the most knowledgeable person in the world when it comes to cannabis. I don't know everything. Um, Am I the best breeder? No, I am not. There are far many breeders who have been doing it long before me, who've been working with strains. And there are people who are forefathers of cannabis that are much older than me who've been working with cannabis before I was even born. So um, do I know a lot about breeding, punnett squares, genetics, uh, crossing DNA, uh, morph, morphology, um, cannabis uh, diseases, cross uh, pathogens, uh, uh, cannabis viruses versus, um, uh, just like soil born and micro benefit or, you know, microbial issues and things like that. All of these things, they come into play with breeding. Um, it's very important and I hope you guys are, um, going to enjoy. Now this is midday on a Wednesday, so I don't know how many people are going to be tuning in necessarily live, but I do, I do hope that, uh, this is a fun episode for those listening. And I don't, I don't, you know, I guess piss too many people off that are in the industry because uh, I know sometimes it's a little bit interesting. Now, it doesn't look like the live stream is actually working, which, you know what? It's all good. I don't mind if the YouTube doesn't get it. I'll upload this as a video. So we're going to continue this podcast. It's live on Instagram, and that's all that matters, to be honest. So we're going to break into this. Um, breeding, 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 breeding. What do you need to breed cannabis? Well, <laughs> first and foremost, you need stable genetics. But before that, you need a very, very, very good fundamental understanding on how to grow cannabis. Um, I suggest you have at least one full quality harvest under your belt before you even start thinking about playing with that. And I'm not talking about breeding for selling or like actually like retail. Um, so this breeder's guide is going to be a basic knowledge for those growers out there just to understand what goes into breeding, why pollen chucking is an interesting term, why there's there's a pollen chucking that isn't necessarily bad, and then there's a pollen chucking that's terrible, and I'm going to talk about that. Um and then and what I mean by the not bad one is, it, believe me when I say any pollen, I'm not really for pollen chucking when it comes to stabilizing or actually breeding. I don't think you're a breeder if you're just pollen chucking. I think you're breeding cannabis. Um, <coughs> but to say you're a breeder is to say that you are 
genetically hunting specific traits. It's, and this isn't the, my passion for breeding does not just come from cannabis. Okay. So uh, my knowledge of an understanding of breeding and genetics actually transitions over from reptile breeding and animal mammalian breeding. So for, <laughs> for those of you who uh, want to know a little bit about chronic and where I came from, uh, as a, uh, uh, you know, before I was a cannabis grower and tattoo artist, all this, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian. So I wanted to be an exotic zoo vet. Um, I was going to go to school for zoology. I had a pretty good SAT score. If I pat myself on my shoulder, I'm really good at test test. Um, and I was able to get scholarships for specific schools. Like there was one school I was looking at, um, there was Wisconsin. There was a school in Wisconsin, which was the fifth in the nation for, um, exotic vet or veterinary tech or just veterinary um, degrees in general. And then there was UNF, which is University of North Florida. Um, and that one has a really great uh, uh, veterinary degree. It's like 15th, I think it was what it was. Uh, those were about $800,000 in degree work and like living and costs and just everything to get become a veterinary, um, just an exotic vet, someone who's working with whether it's horses, uh, tigers, um, you're just all sorts of zoological life, whether it's reptile uh, reptiles, um, whether you're working with amphibians, anything like, so I was going to go to school for all of that. Um, I really have a huge passion for it. I've always been a conservationist. When I lived in Wyoming, I was going to start my own, uh, conservation thing. So my genetic background is actually in reptile genealogy, which, the Punnett squares for reptiles, like crested geckos in particular, um, they get, if not more crazy than cannabis Punnett squares sometimes. Um, so for instance, there's what's known as lily whites currently in crested geckos. Uh, for the last like 25 plus years, there's never been a lily white. Um, and then like, I believe it was three years ago or four years ago, um, the lily white project came to fruition and it's like a true... Um, it's what's known as lily white. They're like these really beautiful white, um, scaled geckos that are just, I mean, they are so gorgeous. It's unbelievable. It, it doesn't look like a real animal. It's taken the person, I believe over seven plus years of working lines and working. I, I think it was 17, if I'm not mistaken of them working with geckos. I need to go back and read the lily white project, but the Punnett square for a lily white includes every single genetic trait that a gecko, a crested gecko could potentially have. So you're working with recessive and dominant genes that are uh, upwards of 10 to 20 morphs that those morphs have recessive and dominant genes of 10 or 20 morphs themselves to create that morph in particular. So you're working with over 200 to 300 um, things within your Punnett square sometimes for these crested geckos. So genealogy and morphology has always been something I've been really, really, really into. And to understand cannabis breeding and to understand all of that type of stuff, genes are just, they're, they're not the same across the board, obviously. And, and a gene, genealogist or genealogist, or I think it's genealogist, would probably be so pissed off if I ever said that. But I'm saying understanding the, the knowledge on a fundamental base, making Punnett squares is relatively the same. And cannabis is so unique to being similar to reptiles. It's very easy for my mind to understand the concepts, um, especially with now that we have breeders who are actually genome targeting, which is something that is absolutely impressive and insane. Genome targeting is something that really is a brand new, um, 
Huh. So how am I going to put this? Genome targeting is where science has really taken a step further to target specific genomes within a genetic trait or genetic uh, profile. Okay, so I'm trying to explain this for people who are just listening and not watching. But like if you can imagine a DNA strand, um, parts of those DNA strands are, uh, I believe, what's known as genomes and... I did. This is where like science overrides my brain, and it's been a while since I've been in uh, actual school for this. I should have taken notes on. I should have pulled up some notes on this, but I'm. I do these podcasts off the top of my brain because, a, it helps me keep my brain sharp, and b, it gives you guys the realistic information that I actually know and understand. And then when I'm corrected and or wrong, I can come back on future episodes or talk to you guys about information that I researched correct myself, things like that. But I don't ever do misinformation. But there are certain genomes which are like genetic traits within a uh, DNA strand or within multiple DNA strands that will uh, possess certain um, qualities or effects or maybe make something look one way. Or for cannabis, maybe you're trying to get medicinal effects. So we as breeders years and years and years ago from like 1960, I mean, hell, even since hemp has been around, since hemp has been cultivated and before it was called cannabis and it was just hemp and it was very low THC, like 2% or less, and it was cultivated for textiles and all those types of things. And then, you know, as the years have gone on, there there hasn't been early on breeding was just people pollen chucking. That is all that was happening was just them seeing these males pollinate in the wild and the, the pollen just going all over the place. These land races and the strains that came from it are essentially natural hybrids that lasted that uh, that beat out the rest that over time maybe the pollen in the air in a seven mile radius from a land race six miles away uh helped pollinate a mother you know the to the west six miles and um you know added some more terpene or added some more traits like mold resilience or something and the offspring then took over that location because the other plants ended up dying out on a super wet season because the climate changed just just shifted a little bit like that season it was like a monsoon season or something and it killed out all the rest but that one strain survived out so there's no proof yet like strain hunters have done a great job going back and searching for these land races but as far as like proving out how those land races actually got there like Nobody was there with cameras documenting every pollen, like every bit of pollen. And when it's in the wild and there's multiple males pollinating multiple females, that whole thing is pollen chucking. That's the principle of pollen chucking. That's why breeders don't like it because even though land races are absolutely phenomenal, they're only phenomenal when they're kind of honed in. Like, Natural land races, it's very rare that they're so fucking insane that those F1s possess everything you would want. Dense nug formations, uh, perfect internodal spacing, um, perfect trichome production, high trichome production, high CBD production, high uh, cannabinoid production. Uh, It's super rare that that is what's going to happen. This That's not what's going to happen with most of of anything, you know, I don't care who you are. It's, it's, 
the first genetic line of anything, especially in nature outdoors, is going to possess so many different traits that it takes maybe one or two or three or ten, ten generations to hone in. Lucky for us that there is a lot of natural land races that nature has done that over the years. You know, your Durban poisons are <laughs> Durban poison. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know why I said that one. That was not one that's stable. And I think people are going to, so your Durban is not, oh fuck, how do I say this? I hate doing stuff live because people are, I can edit this stuff out when I uh, do Spotify and things like that, which I won't. I'll keep it to pretty much what it is live. So Durban's a funny one. Durban is stable to this day. It's a very beautiful land race. The males are studs, studs, studs. But the the females hermaphrodite a lot because they're technically ruderalis from where they grow. So they have a high chance to self-preservate. So let me use another land race that's actually a little more stellar. Acapulco Gold. Um, that was a cool land race that came about. I would say the one true one that I really, I would say that's been a stellar land race <clears throat> that nature actually produced that has insane colors where it is, is Panama red. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous one. Um, I think when it first came around, yes, it was leafy and airy. The F ones were a little more leafier. If you saw the original pictures of that strain, but it made up for it because it did have high resin production and the color of that strain was just, uh, oh my God, it's breathtaking. So you do have uh, strains that are really great for their first generations, but then you, you still want to breed them in. And this is this is the whole thing with pollen chucking and what that is. So now that, that I've kind of given you guys like a 10 to 13 minute overview of just where my genetic understanding background is, um, why people don't really necessarily like to call or like pollen chucking because pollen chucking is the principle <clears throat> of essentially throwing pollen out and not really, you're not honing in anything. All sorts of traits could be, you could be putting out all sorts of traits. That's not the greatest. And that's not all what we're seeking when we're breeding cannabis. And that's why there's a difference between a pollen chucker and a breeder. And there's a difference between a very poor pollen chucker who sells their crap and tries to act like it's the bee's knees or even give it to their friends and act like it's the bee's knees. And a difference between someone who gets really good strains and crosses them in their own garden for their own use, for their own benefit. And that's what we're going to talk today about is my podcast is about giving home growers the accessibility to save money, grow their own medicine at home, the easiest ways, the most financial, financially feasible. And that means sometimes producing your own seeds if you want to keep a line around or you want to be able to save that. Or if you just want to play around and make something because you have two strains that you think would work really well because you like this, the effects of both of them and you want to try to see what it would make together. It's a fair thing to do. It's, a, it's absolutely fair to uh, have that want after you started growing. But like I said at the beginning, you need a fundamental understanding of growing cannabis for a lot of this knowledge to stick. So now let's get into the how-to. Let's get into everything. <clears throat> so what do you need for breeding cannabis? Well, you need to, for one, you need to have a designated either pollen space that is sealed off from the rest of anywhere else or a tent that is sealed off. I have a 2 by 2 by 4 tent and a 2 by 4 by 5 tent. The 2 by 4 by 5 tent I'm actually not going to be using for pollen. <sighs> Collecting two males at a time in one small space is a ridiculous task. 
And I just didn't want to put in the hours for it. I'm going to be honest. It's just not worth it to me. I'll take my time doing one mail at a time and doing one pollen project at a time. Um, pollen is so finite and it spreads so rapidly because it is meant to flow on the wind. So whenever you do pollen, you if you're going to have a room where you have a tent with another tent in the room at all that has flowering plants, Everything has to be on carbon filters, HEPA filters, some sort of filter and fan for everything that's going in or out for both of the, uh, those tents. They, it needs to be. Um, a big one is, is whenever you're going in your room to collect pollen, um, you do not open your tent until you turn all your fans off in that tent. And you, have no, you want no active AC or air pushing air around in your room when you're collecting the pollen. So I close my vents and my ceiling. And then the big one is you need to either be in, <laughs> this is going to sound funny. You need to either be in clothes that you can instantaneously put into a bag. That's a wipe. You can wipe the bag down and that bag is going to be transferred to a uh, washer instantly and, and wash. And then that wipers, that washer is going to be wiped down or you do pollen in your boxers or naked. <laughs> I'm not joking about that. Uh, I used to collect pollen nude. That's why I never, ever, ever uh, did any pollen stuff live. And I know that sounds funny, but I had multiple tents in one room with multiple males. So what I would have to do is legitimately because I don't have like hazmat suits. I don't have like a facility where I have like a spray room where I can desanitize or like kill all the pollen on my clothes. I can't spray my, I can't go hop in the shower every 10 seconds. So it's kind of, it's, it sucks a lot. Your skin gets very dry, but essentially what I do is I have rubbing alcohol that I wipe the tent down as soon as I close and I'm done collecting my pollen. I wipe everything down in immediate vicinity with a rubbing alcohol. I have a mister that I spray myself fully with water, wipe myself down. Then I wipe my skin with alcohol, uh, which it's 70% rubbing alcohol. Not, not everywhere. Not like all just like pretty much try to give myself a kill all the pollen essentially. I have to go rinse my hair underwater. Then I have to come back into my room. I have to clean the entire room, top to bottom, ceiling, walls, baseboards, every tent, everything that's there. And then I have to re-clean myself and then hop in the shower because I don't want to take pollen across my house. So this is the process of, of dealing with pollen. If you actually want to breed and not cross-pollinate your pollen in spine places. This is why breeder facilities have closed-loop rooms that generally have a small disin uh, like a uh, disinfecting room or like a, you know a room that sprays water at a finite uh, particle with hydrogen peroxide or a little bit of alcohol or something in it to kill all the pollen. And you're usually wearing like a, a hazmat suit. And then you can just take that suit off, hang it up, and that's the pollen suit for that room. And then you can go to your next one and put the next pollen suit on and do the same and do the same and do the same. I don't have that. So this is what it takes to do it at home to not be a pollen chucker. It's it, So yeah, it's a kind of funny. I have tarps and everything down now, and I'll be looking into getting a, just a paint sprayer and just using a paint sprayer that's real fine and misting. Uh, water with hydrogen peroxide to kill the pollen in the air and put the pollen all over the room. 
water does kill pollen. Just water without anything does kill pollen. That's why rainstorms help allergies and things like that. Uh, so, but the thing about pollen is it can travel seven miles. So if you don't think that your pollen, uh, opening your tent and you going into your tent, doesn't blow pollen into your bathroom across your 5,000 square foot home or whatever you're working in. Yes, you're wrong. Um, you need to make sure that you're whatever you're in, you have to like, I hold my breath. Like I don't like I'll literally be collecting pollen, hold my breath. When I have to breathe, I stick my head out of the tent behind my tent, breathe, then put my head back into the space where the pollen actually is. And I do that so I don't flick pollen all over the place. Another thing is, is if you're going to be distributing pollen, you cannot have any um, infestation of bugs or anything like that. They will absolutely go into the pollen sacks and get into your pollen. There's been a couple pollen, uh, uh, like, uh, what's the reason? Um, Matthew Gates has a bunch of pictures on his Instagram. Sorry for the stutter there. Matthew Gates has a bunch of pictures on his Instagram of various bugs that will go into pollen and things like that. Uh, but yeah, no, there. you want to make sure you have a clean setup. You want to make sure that, how I catch pollen and, and we're going to get into the breeding aspect. This is just how to collect pollen and what it takes to actually collect and distribute and, uh, not cross cross contaminate pollen. Uh, the items necessary for collecting pollen or breeding a male or having a male in your garden. I haven't seen anyone build a system yet for male plants, which, if someone does, if someone has one and they want to send one my way or DM me and we can talk uh, and they have something that needs tested, dear God, I need something. And I think Will and Victoria Roland actually are working on something or Mitchell Gorgachuk of Hydrobuck. I can't remember who's doing it, but I believe it's Victoria and Will Roland of Subcool. Um, Someone I know, I think it's them. I'm pretty positive. Yeah, I'm pretty positive it's them. I believe they're working on this lid thing that collects pollen perfectly. And it's like a 3D printed thing. I swear to God, if that thing comes out for purchase, I'm buying it. Collecting pollen's a pain in the ass. My best way to do it is grab a piece of cardboard, cut like a line down half and then a little circle for the stem and kind of put it together and then put paper all across that cardboard and then when you go to collect pollen and pollen begins to fall, you'll at least be able to lift those paper sheets and uh, fold the crease the paper and get the pollen collected off the paper. As long as the paper is clean, just use clean paper. Um, there's no real fine way to do it. I've, I've made some videos kind of showing how I do it. I literally am under the pollen sacks. I have a, um, I have a mesh screen grinder. Like I have a pollen grinder that I use. That's a fine micron screen that I tap all the pollen sacks that are ready to fall off into. And then I just tap the pollen sacks and I, uh, uh, like put the cap on and then I kind of like just tap the side and I let the pollen fall and then micron screen. Then I collect the pollen out of the, the bottom chamber of it. So that's, that's my way of doing it. Cause I can clean the grinder. It's only for pollen. Um, and mind you, every tool, everything that's going to be touching pollen has to be dipped into. I dip it into uh, uh, alcohol afterwards, and then water. So it just I'm I'm like super 
OCD about not getting pollen all over the place. I don't want, I never had an issue with pollen getting into my tent. I'm going to knock on wood, uh, with my flowering plants. Um, I've been very, very good and in the clear, uh, with all of my pollen projects and I haven't had any issues as far as, um, cross contaminating pollen, meaning all of my strains that I have grown out, have grown out the same for each individual one I've grown out. Um, the pollen, when I was collecting, I never saw pollen exit the room or enter any of my flowering tents. And I would do some tests just to check to see if I had holes in my test uh, tents. I would put auto flowers for like uh, a night or a flowering clones for a night next to my tents, just in there in the dark. And if they got seeds, I knew, okay, so there's pollen in my room. Something's going on. Never had any issues with that. So there's a few tests I kind of run for myself to make sure that I'm like keeping my st- my my space uh, clean and proper. Uh, but that is like I'm trying to make sure that's everything you need for pollen. I mean, the last thing is just storing it. You want to store. I store mine in a refrigerator at like the refrigerator temperature. Um, you can store it at 68 degrees. You can store it at wine cooler. You could store it at room temperature in a refrigerator. It's going to go dormant and it's going to be, uh, it's going to last a lot longer. Um, I want to get like a can of troll or a wine cooler one day, just specifically for pollen and dial it into the exact temperature that pollen is like perfect at. Um, but the, the way you, uh, undormant or make it come back alive whenever you want to use it is you just leave it, uh, on your countertop at room temperature, um, for like an hour or two hours, let it just warm up. Um, sometimes I'll let it just stay there for like half a day and then I'll, I'll paint brush it on. And again, one little vial of pollen can be like six to six months, like three years worth of breeding. Because if you just take a paintbrush and you flick it each node and you just do that with each node, one little vial will last you multiple breeder project, uh, multiple breeder projects, you know, back crossing, all sorts of things. So uh, a little bit of pollen goes a long, long, long way. Um, if you are allergic to pollen, I highly just suggest wearing a respirator, wearing a mask. A lot of this next stuff is going to be, I'm actually going to be wearing a mask for now on. I didn't realize I was working with STS spray. (laughs) I thought I had CS this whole time. (laughs) Boy, I was wrong. So, uh, thank God I stick my head out of the tent, but still that's not good. And I definitely probably inhaled some STS particles. This is never good. Listen, it's not the worst thing in the world. I, I probably inhaled some like spray paint as a kid and shit like that, dude. I'm not advocating, but what I'm saying is the whole next part of this is you definitely want a mask and N100 respirator. I'll be wearing one anytime I spray my reversal spray because it has SDS. Uh, and you should do that with the CS as well. Uh, you're not supposed to be inhaling that stuff. Uh, inhaling silver is bad. So let's get into this. How to breed cannabis. Well, there's multiple ways. You guys and gals out there, have I've actually in the last four to five weeks, I have had more questions about what F1 meant, S1 meant, BX1, and um, just various things like about breeding, you know, generations. I've had so many breeder questions that I've decided to finally make this podcast and do this podcast for you guys because, well, so many people asked for it. So what is an F1? 
Oh, hey, wow, we got a lot. We got a few people uh, watching. What's up, uh, gang? I hope you guys are enjoying this live podcast. Alrighty. Well, for Spotify listeners, sorry, I had to, I had to take a drink, dude. My mouth, I, my throat was dry. I'm, I'm over here, cotton mouth. Um, so F1s. Uh, well, let's just start with what is F. F means filial. It doesn't mean feminized. It means filial. What does filial mean? Chronic. Well, filial means uh, that two parents came to get together of different lines of different lineage of different genetic traits it could be within the same it could be within the same uh genetic strain so like let's say you have uh a bunch of sour diesel and you have one sour diesel that is a really pretty female and one sour diesel that's another really pretty female and you decide that you want to pollinate one of those that technically is a filial generation, even though that could be also considered a uh, feminized generation. It's still a first generation that is two parents coming together. Now, the traditional filial that most people know are male to female or female to male. Um, generally, generally, it's never male, female to male. Whenever the the like, so if you're reading a strain that's like. Sour Diesel times uh, Temple Kush. Okay, so like Sour Diesel was the male, Temple Kush was the female. Unless they were both females, then that's different. But that is that is a filial uh, generation that creates a first generation offspring. That is F one. Now, if you were to take an F one from that generation and cross it with another F one, or cross it with a parent, um. Well, crossing with a parent, crossing with a parent does something different. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. If you take that F one and cross it with another one of its generation, another male, another female, it becomes an F two. If if you cross that, um, you know those F twos, they become F threes, F three, F four. If you cross a offspring with a parent. It's known as back crossing. That becomes a BX1. So those are all the fancy terminology that we have. The last one is is the selfing, the S1s, the S2s, the S3s. The number next to the letter is just the generation. Okay, so if it's an S1 or if it's an F12, that just means it was a selfed first generation or a filial 12th generation. Um. Obviously, longer the the further generations down are presumably more stabilized or honed in to the terpenes that the breeder is selecting, unless they're bad and pollen chucking. And we'll get into that. Um, what is up, everyone who joined? I I'm really appreciative of all you guys uh, tuning in and and enjoying the podcast. So these generations of seeds are considered. Uh, in the F1, F2, and F3 lines, sometimes unstable. So that's up for debate because sometimes when you work on a strain that it, you have really quality lineage already that is phenohunted and tested, the first generation of their offspring could be very stable. And that is because you worked the lines above appropriately. Um, 
Punnett squares get really, really, really confusing, especially in this day and age when almost every strain out there is like a two to six strain hybrid. I mean, you're talking about some strains just to create them were like this strain and this strain put together. And then these two strains were made by these two strains. And then those two strains were each made by these two strains. And now you're 18 strains deep before you even see a land race. And the other one's 22 strains deep before you even see a land land race. And now there's uh, 52 strains all with different terpenes, all pushing all this. So that's where people say things get muddied. So that's why when cannabis breeders who are trying to preserve land race genetics get tired of people going, you know what? Just shut the fuck up, bro. Runs is what's in and you need to just suck a dick and just fucking shut up and everything's going to be sweet and candy-like and fuck your skunky and diesel shit, bro. That shit hurts my lungs. I can only vape because, you know, I like... Su- I'm, 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 <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, my, little, my little fun little rant there is over. But listen... I like strains that allow people who are wreck that don't like coughing to enjoy themselves. I allow, I love strains that people can go, mm, that should taste like cheesecake or like, mm, that should taste good. It doesn't taste like a skunk ass, you know, I get it. But the problem with that is, is we've muddied strains so much that terpenes and cannabinoids are no longer becoming present present. And most people are just breeding for THCA. Trichomes are great. They're pretty, but they do nothing if nothing's inside of them. You know, they create a nice little euphoric mind high there for a minute. But for someone like me who has a freaking neck pain and back pain out the ass, uh, they do nothing. They don't help me. They do nothing medically for me. Um, so this is where breeding cannabis is you go back to the roots. So if you're going to breed, you need to know your lines. And this is why there's a good pollen chucker and a bad one. And I am trying to promote to the community to do your due diligence. If you can't take a strain and message the breeder and find out their entire line, at least up until the point that they can prove, like on paper and results, and then before that, they're like, well, supposedly it's this and this. And that's just, you know, we kind of have to take people's word because back then seeds were wonky. Hey, at least they're giving you the full line of what their stuff is. If they can't do that, they most likely there's something sketchy going on with that because good breeders know every single strain they crossed into their lines and they keep notes and tabs on what those traits and terpenes present. You should be able to go all the way back to see what those strains are and you should be able to pick and pheno hunt those specific terpenes out. And if you can't do that and that strain's been so muddied, but you miss that strain like a blue dream, you miss a blue dream immensely, or you miss a uh, sour diesel, or you miss a northern lights, well, find the parent lines, source good quality actual genetics that people have kept around. They're out there, believe me. Uh, there's, There's dozens and dozens of growers out there who have kept for years and years and years on end um, skunks or Northern Lights or White Widows or Afghans or pure land races. Um, even hell, we're even finding new land races to this day. And there's new, there's so many fun strains out there that people don't work with, like Frisian Duck, Australian Bastard Cannabis. Um, if Freak Show's finally starting to get some love and work, that's a strain that took like 
40 plus mutants to work with uh, over a dozen like i believe it was like 10 plus years of work it's in as a breeder freak show hats fuck i mean just hats off to the dude at humboldt who bred freak show i forgot i forget the gentleman's name um just phenomenal strain but there's so many strains to play with that it's so sad to me when people just take strains, pollen chuck them and think they made the next best thing. They don't know the lines. They don't know the lineage. They're mudding it up because they're taking runts and they're throwing runts into everything. And they think runts is just going to make it better and make it this and this and that. Well, if that strain that you're throwing it into has 52 lines in its own lineage, you're just adding and runts has 50 plus lines in its own lineage. You are 1000% going to muddy the shit out of terpene profiles, taste, everything. You're right. It's all going to taste like runs. That's why everything tastes like gelato or everything grows like gelato at dispensaries because gelato is almost bred into everything. That's a big, that's something a lot of breeders on large commercial farms for these large commercial dispensaries don't want to talk about is whenever they have a serious uh, a pheno that's a stellar pheno that's pushing strains past two to 5% of THCA production because everybody just wants to see numbers now because that's what rec is. They'll breed that strain in and still call that other strain the same thing and not call it a new hybrid or anything, not tell people that they put a gelato into there to increase the results or anything, which now affects the terpenes, cannabinoids and everything else present. So this is the state of breeding that we're in. How I breed cannabis is way different. Since I was like 14, 15, uh, and I fell in love with cannabis, I got bud that was absolutely dog shit one time, had a bunch of seeds in it, and I realized, oh, fuck, it's a seed. That's right. It's a plant. It's an herb. I want to I grow this. So I started doing a ton of research. Ed Rosenthal was one of the first people I, I found. Um, Jorge Cervantes's um, uh, original book was given to me by a Grass City Forum guy, and I didn't realize it was Jorge Cervantes's book. Until so re- when I when I interviewed him, like it was like a flashback of memories. I even remember messaging Victoria. I was or no, I was on the phone with her, um, Victoria Roland, and I was like, "Fuck, why does Jorge Cervantes' name sound familiar?" Because like, you know, I saw the picture. I had the, his most recent picture, and in my mind, I had this dreadlock dude who was like this cannabis grower that was like on the run from cops, like on Grass City forums. Like people would like make him out to be this crazy legend. And then like all the shit started steamrolling back to me. But like, I remember his book reading and he had like these black and like, just like line work stencil, you know, almost like images in his book showing the different plant parts, the outlining things, you know, there's male and female, the males look like this, that, you know, you can collect pollen this way, this way. Well, I started doing a bunch of research, um, on, uh, him and I ended up finding sub cool <laughs> shout out to him. So he was like the first person in the U S that ever like put his face to like selling seeds. Like it was like, he did not give a fuck. Uh, he's loud and proud about it. And he looked like the dude from V for Vendetta a little bit, in my opinion, like the little, like, like the mustache and everything, but him and Kyle, when I finally got to talk with Kyle Cushman and I really got to see like Kyle's face and like, and, and have conversations and and it's crazy how much those two are like twins. It's, it's nutty. Um, but Subcool was one of the first people that I ever actually heard of seeds for. So I started researching Subcool from Subcool. I actually found, uh, someone had mentioned, uh, blueberry to me when I first started and I, I got my hands on a blueberry in Florida and I got to smoke blueberry. And that is what set me down my entire passion for everything 
everything is DJ Shorts. So shout out, big massive shout out to DJ Shorts and um, everything he does and has done. Um, Blueberry was the one that set me on a whole thing. Like it helped my anxiety immensely when I was like having panic attacks. I was having like panic attacks almost daily, two to three times a day. I would just like, I would do, I would just be sitting at my computer, not even thinking about anything. And then just start hyperventilating almost like pass out, like my heart rates, like, and it's, I, and it, it does stem from trauma and just like subconsciously things like, you know, you don't even realize subconscious things making you go through those things. So like I was going through a lot of that. And sometimes I would like, I'd be watching a show or something. Oh, I dropped mine. Um, sometimes I'd be like watching a show or something. And, uh, I have a crystal in my hand for those wondering what I dropped. Um, it's like a little square pyramid thing, but yeah. So I would get like se severe anxiety. And, and when I tried blueberry, it literally helped everything. And I, I remember like doing so much research on DJ shorts and that was one of the first strains that I ever purchased. And it was one of the first strains along with white widow. I got a white widow. I got blueberry DJ shorts, blueberry. I got um, a Northern lights and I purchased a, uh, there was a sale on one of the websites from a grass city member. I don't even remember the website back then. Um, this was like 2008, but it was a website that you still paid with Bitcoin. And so I had a shitload of Bitcoin back then when it was like, it was like 0. 0.0006 cents per Bitcoin. Like it was stupid cheap back then. And I had a ridiculous amount of it. Never think it, I didn't know anything about it. I just wanted my cannabis seeds. So I bought some 1993 skunk. I bought some 1996 skunk. And then I bought some 1998 skunk. And those were all the strains that I first started my seed collection with. And I, I've grow, I grew out. Oh, and I bought a Bubba Kush. I bought a 2001 Bubba Kush. That's what I did. The Bubba Kush was a 50 pack that I got um, sent to me by a grower that I had purchased the, uh, some other seeds from the 96 skunk, I believe it was, or 93 skunk. It was one of those. It was the, I think it was the 96 skunk. He had sent me a bunch of the Bubba Kush seeds because he was just running them and he was in South Florida and I was in North Florida. Um, and he sent them to me and he was just like, yo, on the house, thanks for support and run these. You guys will love them. Gave the Bubba Kush to a buddy. Um, they got grown out on a massive farm, which supposedly was a farm that DJ shorts apparently had hands in. I don't think so. I find that hard to believe. Um, and they also said the original dude who grew Bubba Kush had hands in it. And now that I'm getting older and I'm, I've talked to some of the people who actually ran farms down in Florida, a lot of the myths and stories I heard from as a kid were rumored as bullshit essentially. So my, my strains just went to a dude who was selling weed in Florida. <laughs> um, and it wasn't mine. It was just Bubba Kush, but they, I got to go see them and I got to help, uh, start cultivating. So that was where I started learning how to cultivate cannabis. This is where I actually learned and watched males, um, and watched them call males. So they actually allowed males to get, um, just stunted just enough to where the, the immature pollen sacs were forming and they would go around and they would pick the, the hardiest of the male. And then they would go ahead and kill the rest of them. They call the males. <coughs> I asked them why they would do that. And they told me, well, you don't want, um, 
all these different, you know, if all the pollen crosses, it's that male's genetic with that male's genetic with that male's genetic, like they all have individual genetics, like all these mothers are going to bear us seeds that are individual. And so what they do is, um, they had all their plants spaced far enough apart to where if seeds dropped, <clears throat> they weren't really interfering with um, the rest of the ones. The ones on the ground, they would pretty much um, leave uh, after they harvested the plant. And those would be like the random bag seed phenol hunt from that plant. And then the rest of them on the plant, they would use for their phenol hunts as exact seeds. Excuse me. They would use for their phenol hunts as exact seeds. And that was where I started understanding, okay, they're doing like what I do with like reptiles. Me and my friends like, like research and stuff like that with like geckos and things specifically ball pythons and like almost like all morphs. It's just like morphology. Like you're instead of breeding, like, yo, I want that snake to have a yellow belly with patterns on it, like a Halloween or a pumpkin and, um, be like, uh, leucistic. I'm, I, I'm now breeding. Yo, I want this strain to have bright orange pistols, <clears throat> lavender like leaves, uh, uh taste like this and be resilient to mold and stuff. So these are the things that I started learning early on. Now, that transition to years and years and years of practice through countless trial and error and all sorts of things. The reason I tell you that story is even technically what they were doing back then is pollen chucking, right? They didn't breed that sour diesel. They didn't breed the uh, other strains they would cross into it. This is what has happened for countless years. And people want to act like whenever the strain gets big that they sell, that they popped off, they want to act like it's like something they did purposefully. Now, modern day breeders like Copycat or your Terpy Highs or um, Atlas or <clears throat> hell, even me, I'll put myself up there. Um, and Faded Leaf Genetics, I've been looking over their stuff. A lot of these modern breeders, just even small time breeders, man, just modern day breeders have the resources to do their own breeding or line breeding or select genetics that have been specifically, you know, pheno hunted for what they want. Like, like for instance, I've been eyeballing, I should say I've been eye fucking the, uh, <laughs> the copycat genetics, uh, modified skunk S one for a long time. Listen, I am a skunk. I love, that strain. Okay. I, I know a lot of people say that, but that is one that like, it's so lost. I can't tell you how many times I've grown a skunk strain and it has not spelled like skunk. And there's a reason that pisses me off because that specific terpene is responsible for heavy, 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 heavy pain management, like unbelievable pain management. Like you definitely need, uh, you need Myrcene and caryophyllene and littlelol and limonene and all these various terpenes, uh, beta pinene, alpha pinene, all these terpenes that are um, now just like kind of muddied and everyone's like, oh yeah, it has everything in it. Well, you know, maybe I don't want everything. Maybe I want uh, one that's higher in beta pinene or alpha pinene because that shit helps me, you know, or maybe I want a higher in myrcene. And that stuff's been lost. All the spicy strains, all the strains that hurt when you inhale them, they've all been lost because people don't want that. That's not what the rec, uh, uh, unfortunately the recreational smokers are what determine what dispensaries and cultivators are really growing across the board on commercial facilities because they're the ones spending the bulk amount of money. 
So now it's our job as home breeders to not become pollen chuckers and just take pollen from any willy nilly plant or, or just like, ah, I got a male. I'm going to keep it. No, your due diligence is to do pheno hunting. That's the number one thing in breeding. There is nothing. I don't care. Everything else is subpar. If your pheno hunt tests are subpar because you don't even know if you have a good plant. Pheno hunting and pheno testing is just you. I see so many breeders doing it shittily and because they, they think they have a stellar plant that passes their test in deep water culture. Well, they breed it and they sell it as this amazing strain. And then across the board, all these soil growers are like, man, this shit is dog shit. This shit is ass compared to something else. There's a reason I grow all of my strains in multiple substrates. So my soil mothers, even though they're in soil, all of them will get cloned out and put into deep water culture. All my deep water culture, but girls will get put into soil. If they can, deep water culture is enough like soil list growing to where I know if they grow well and amazing in soil and in, in deep water culture, they'll grow well in soil list like cocoa. But the problem is, is that there's so many breeders out there that are uh, just pollen chucking anything. And they're growing in deep water culture. They're growing in soilless. They're growing in soil. They're not testing them. They don't do any stress tests. They don't do any drought tests. They don't do any um, uh, uh, flood tests. They don't do heat tests, light tests. They don't do any sort of um, <clears throat> pest resistance, mold resistance. Um, every one of my strains that I have currently that I'm working with, all the mothers were actually, unfortunately, in a tent where... So I took in a clone... And I'm for, I don't know which clone it was. I have a, I have a, I have a, in, a kind of like an intuition of what it was, but I can't say for sure. I had a quarantine tent that I quarantined for 28 days, which is like really long. Um, and now I'm going to go longer. I'm quarantining for at least two to three, two, I'm quarantining for probably at least two months. I don't really care if I fill a tent, but if I ever take in clones, that's what's happening. And I'm not taking in clones. That's actually my rule now. I don't take in clones. I refuse to take in any clones because of my experience. I took in clones. I had a mother tent full of my genetics that I'm currently running. I had, there was some of them that didn't make it because I had to cut them down because they weren't mold resistant. All of the mothers I re I'm running actually directly, the Sour Temple Chunk F2s, though the two parents that made them, the, uh, the parents that made uh, temple for freaks, the parents that made, uh, glue of the gods, uh, the parents that made, what's the other strain? I have like two or three other strains that I've made with it that were like right around that vicinity. There was literally two clones right in the dead center. One immensely that was covered that literally I like, it was like four hours. This thing just, I don't know. It got in my tent. Apparently it loved the environment so much. And the mold spores were like, I will grow. Um, yeah, it was covered. It, it, it would have looked like I left it there for like weeks on end and I did it. It was, I, I panicked, panicked. So ripped it out of my tent. Fucking dude. I sprayed everything, quarantined that tent, had to rip like six or seven other plants down that didn't pass the test. But all those other mothers didn't even phase them. One was flat out hugging the worst part of the powdery mildew. Didn't even phase it didn't even grow anything nothing happened luckily you know i was treating at the time too but i mean that's impressive that means that's a very resilient strain to mold spores 
These are things that you need to treat in nature. And growers have these pheno hunts. Those growers that do those large farm pheno hunts like Atlas or um, like Will and Victoria Roland out in Oklahoma and like all these various growers doing these big outdoor things where they can have a thousand plants or something outdoors and they can go and call a bunch of the females that they were thinking about running, um, that, that got mold infested. And then they go, Oh shit, this one's like surrounded by mold. This one didn't even get touched. This, this bud's all good. They know that that mother is quality now and they can go back to their uh, commercial facility indoors and they can go, okay, blah, blah, blah. Number 14 was the best, right? So that was the mother that didn't have any issues. And now they can run a thousand of those clones outdoors or, you know, rebreed that or, or genome target if they have the money for genome targeting, because that stuff's not a cheap. Um, but this is, this is the whole thing with breeding is you have to have a space to do it. Um, you have to make the space to do it because if you don't have a pollen proof area or a way that you can prevent cross contamination, then you might as well just have one open pollination grow room and every single harvest you're going to have seeds and you need to make sure that you're either using the same male strain or the same pollen to dust with every single time because then it won't matter. Then it doesn't matter if there's pollen left in the room. If it's the same pollen, you're totally fine. It's not going to cause any issues. The moment you want to change pollen, change strains, or do anything like that, or have flowering plants that you don't want to seed out, you have to take so many extra steps and precautions because pollen can pollinate so quickly. And like I said, it can go in the wind for seven miles. That's how far pollen can travel. That's why it's why people who grow outdoors, it's actually, it, it's, it's somewhat of a headache for some of these people who grow in these legal states and outdoors where they have hemp farms within seven miles of them because all of a sudden all their plants every year round is being um, pollinated by the hemp farms. And that's why a lot of these estates are actually now uh, not allowing um, open pollination for these hemp farms. And that it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a double-edged sword because it's like, dang, now the hemp industry is going to get jacked up. But also at the same time, this allows the home growers not to have their bud pollinated by shitty hemp and it reduces their cannabinoids and all sorts of things. So there's so much to breeding that it's not just having the money to do so, having the equipment, having uh, all the, the necessary genetics you still need the necessary knowledge. So a, a basic understanding of Punnett squares. If you don't know what a Punnett square is, I highly suggest go and watching a basic video of how to make a Punnett square with eyes, eye color. We used to do it in school in biology and things like that. If you guys never did it, that's totally fine. But I highly suggest just starting with eye color. If you can't um, understand eye color for Oh man, I thought I had a sneeze. Yeah, that was rough. Um, if you can't understand eye color, pun and squares, breeding might not be for you. You're going to get very confused, lost, and it's going to take you a long time to understand the genetic traits that you're trying to pheno hunt. Simple breeding might be for you, and I'll talk to you about that. So pollen chucking, the good pollen chucking. We'll get to that. Don't worry, we'll get to that. We're almost uh, on an hour right now. Um, but you need a basic understanding of Punnett squares. You need a fundamental understanding and a vast knowledge, in my opinion, of microbiology, uh, various grow. Uh, you need to know, I think as a breeder, if you're trying to breed, you need to know everything there is about your grow mediums that you're working with, including and up to at least three to four. 
I know how to cultivate. I I can absolutely walk any one of you guys listening, watching, viewing, or anyone who messages me how to grow and set up any type of system that you're seeking to set up because I've taken the time to study, evaluate, and walk myself through these various systems. Do I have hands-on experience with all of them? No. Do I suck ass at cocoa growing personally? Yes. For some unknown reason, I just... I don't have the, I haven't worked with Coco long enough to know which product leaches the PK when and when I need to watch for the leaching. I always fuck that up. However, do I know how to grow in Coco? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But it's not just because you have knowledge doesn't mean application is easy. That's the whole thing with breeding there's a lot of people who think that it's so easy. There's all this knowledge out there. This, this, Oh, well, someone told me I can do this. Well, applications totally different. Um, when you work with pollen for the first time and you have a male in your garden, that's just literally shitting pollen all over the, like dusting your tent to where you actually have to buy a carbon filter halfway through it, going through its flower cycle or putting out pollen just because it killed your other one. And now pollen's getting through it. That is a pro that that's happened to me. It's, these are real time things that you have to, I had, I always keep carbon filters on backup when I do males for that reason, because if one, if even one speck of pollen comes out that I miss, I promise you, you will get seeds in your garden. Um, and if you're trying to, uh, collect multiple males, you don't want to cross contaminate the pollen, especially with someone like me who I'm trying to be a pollen facility for you breeders to collect and source legitimate pollen. Then I say, this is freak show genetics. Well, how poor and shitty of it is, would it be of me to run multiple males or something in like a tent and like just because they're all freak show, I'm just openly collecting all the pollen and putting it in. And now all those random ass male genetics are just within like one vial that happens all the time with breeders. Like literally there's something with certain breeders where just because it's males, it doesn't matter if I collect the pollen together or I like release it together. Like it's every, no, I, you can, you can be guaranteed that with someone like me, I'm running one male at a time, collecting one pollen at a time. And that is it. Um, so this is where as a, as a person like yourself, you have to determine if you even want a male in your garden, do you want to grow males? Because now that's another thing that you, you might not even have thought this entire hour, you have to grow regulars. And that means calling males. That means you have to do natural pheno hunting. You have to pick, you might not even know if you have a male for six to 10 weeks. If you don't do, if you growing them big as fuck outdoors or something like that, and you're not doing sex testing, which that's where I highly recommend sex testing, like, um, Rimrock analytical or farmer Freeman, or just any of, if you have a, uh, testing facility near your place that's cheap that you can get sex testing done, do it. Take a leaf, uh, take a cut of a leaf, go put it in run the regs, call the males, pick your favorite male. But then again, now you're having to work with males. Um, males have different pheno hunt. In my opinion, males have different pheno hunts than a, than a female. Uh, the pollen it produces, the amount of buds, uh, the amount of pollen sacs uh, or like what you would call bud sites. Um, the quality of pollen is a big one. The quality of pollen is, is definitely a big one. I've had males that 
do beautiful, beautiful golden crystal clear pollen. Then I've had males that get really dark yellow pollen, and it's it, they're all different. You know, they all have different phenos. It's also leaf shapes. You're looking for the leaf shapes. You're looking for the nodal spacing. You're looking for did this male uptake nutrients immensely? Did this male do this? Did this like? There's a whole list of breeder traits that you have to go through, and. I could list uh, a thousand things that you guys could look for for male and female plants, but they're all variably def- they're all variably different and dependent based on the traits that you're seeking. Like, for instance, I might pheno hunt one way because, uh, or I might be testing all these things and looking for specific test results off those test results that you may not be looking for because I'm trying to like get strains to be. Uh, a specific resistance or a specific tra- uh, t- terpene or profile or leaf shape, or I want mutants and you don't want mutants, or I want variegation, you don't want variegation, or, you know, like there's all sorts of things in cannabis and breeding that is, um, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's everything that you could imagine and more. And when you get into it, it becomes a passion and becomes something that, you, at least for me, it's something that is just a world that is unlocked about like, wow, I could create something that can medically benefit someone. Well, then you start getting into it and you realize, damn, dude, there's so many muddied strains. So the best thing that I could recommend to any breeder out there or any person out there that wants to get into breeding and you're, you're scared of males, you're actually scared of, of running a male. Um, you know, this is where, uh, you could start by reversing a plant, you know, reversing a plant's always fun. So that's the self lines. Those are the lines where you take a female, you spray it with STS, theosulfate spray, um, or it's colloidal silver, some sort of silver bonding applicant. And you force pollen sacs and you, um, collect some pollen off that female and that's that. And then you can just like break down the tent, clean it and voila, or you could even open pollinate a whole thing of the same strain and like do your own. You, now you separate those baggies. So like each plant has its own, that's its own line. That's its own, like, uh, you know, S one line, if you will. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot you can do. But no matter what, breeding requires you working with pollen, and working with pollen requires certain standards if you want to have certain standards of breeding. Um, now we get into difference between pollen chucking, bad and good. Uh, bad pollen chucking is literally not having any sort of cleanliness standard, standards, cross-contamination practices, or just you just don't give a shit about pollen. You'll take any sort of male. You run multiple males. You let them all pollinate. All sorts of bad. Every bad practice that I talked about during this episode that you know breeders out there are doing. Or simply, hell, there's people who who, who I don't even want to call them pollen chuckers because they don't even work with pollen. They just take other people's packs and resell them as their own. That's even shittier. So we call those types of pollen chuckers just flat out thieves. Um and, and the bad pollen chuckers are thieves in a sense too, because they're stealing from the community. They're stealing from, uh, you know, plants that could be really valuable. They're, they're wasting genetics. They're wasting so much. Uh, now good pollen chucking. What is good pollen chucking? Well, there's a reason why I want to be a pollen bank because, uh, there's very, very few and far, far between breeders that will ever release pollen from males. The fact of the matter is, if you want quality genetics and you want to create a strain that has something like no other, 
males are the reason that that, that happens. The countless breeders can uh, attest, including Greenpoint Seeds, that um, males like the Greenpoint Seeds, males, Cake and Chem, or it was their... Um, yeah, I think it was their Cake and Chem. I think it was their, their male Cake and Chem or... Damn, I don't remember the other strain. It, it'll come to me. But one of their males is what pushed their strain 5% THCA higher and like 4 or 5% cannabinoids higher. Males have uh, genetics that unlock so much. Um, and why would a breeder release that? That's like a star stud. That's their, that's their prize and possession, right? Well, I don't look at it that way. I don't think anyone's ever going to recreate what I created. Like, sure. You could recreate the straight. Anyone can recreate a sour diesel or whatever, but like no one's going to recreate that one sour diesel that made sour diesel famous. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that one that really actually made the shit famous or like, uh, you know, strawberry cough. Like everybody knows that Kyle, uh, he didn't breed it, but he has the clone that was strawberry cough. And like his strawberry cough is probably better than any strawberry cough out there because of the terpenes and pheno hunts. It's the same thing with my breeder projects. I'm pheno hunting them for a reason. I hope that my strains pop off and become the next biggest thing. But at the same time, I'd rather share my pollen and allow the community to have access of good sourced pollen at fair rates that they can do good pollen chucking, meaning like, so you spend a thousand dollars on a pack of, let's say for a copycat or like $1,500, whatever the hell those packs run for nowadays. Um, some of them are like two grand. Uh, I don't think in your right freaking mind, you should have to pheno hunt any plant from that pack because if I'm going to pay two grand for a pack of seeds, every fucking seed out of that pack better be stellar, better grow the same, and it better be stabilized. And Copycat has a name for a reason. So with that being said, I have no issue with someone growing one plant at a time or growing fucking 10 of them and dusting my pollen all across the 10 strains and making 10 different uh, F1 generations of a new strain they want to create because it's a good quality mother with a good quality male. Now I'm just allowing the, gener the, the, the pollen chuckers who are good pollen chuckers. Now you're seeing where you either spent the money on the strain you either pheno hunted the strain yourself and you don't want to run males and you don't want the headache of even dealing with a full male in your garden because I'll tell you what, it is so much easier to dust or paintbrush a cola and bag wrap it than cleaning an entire grow room or keeping a male indoors or even outdoors. So... There's going to be a lot of people who I like probably tickle their feathers wrong and, or tickle their feathers and they, they're going to get upset about me saying all this stuff. But the fact of the matter is the community does need good pollen chuckers. That's the only way That's the only way we're going to get out of muddy genetics is where home growers who give a shit about land race strains or give a shit about medical properties or the things that they're pheno hunting for the, like, dude, if you don't think I want some home grower that has way worse pain than me to develop a strain mixing CBD and like one-to-ones and autoflower and, and maybe develop some crazy autoflower or maybe some crazy photo period or feminized strain that knocks their pain out. And then one hit of it just absolutely obliterates me. Yo, I want that. Yeah. I want that completely. You know, I want more strains to be like 
18, 19% THC or hell, let, fuck it. Let's keep the 30% THC, but I want to see them going 60% cannabinoids, 80% cannabinoids, 90% cannabinoids, 95% cannabinoids, 99% cannabinoids. Just be so cannabinoid heavy that just one hit or one little dab just takes care of your entire day's pain. Like how wonderful would that be? So that's where I am at with the breeding. Um, I'm a very transparent person. Uh, there's a reason I didn't want to run two, uh, two males in my room. And now you guys understand why there is, I I'm, I'm an hour and seven minutes into this podcast. This is the first live Instagram podcast I've ever done where you guys get to watch me actually record the podcast. I don't even know if I'm technically live on my YouTube. I'm like streaming on Streamlabs right now. And I literally don't even know where the hell it's streaming to. So I'm going to have to go figure that out later. I, I legitimately have no idea. So I put my stream key in and I swear to God, I thought I thought I was I was streaming live, but who freaking knows? And I'll have to upload it to YouTube later. But I could talk about this. I could probably talk about teaching breeding for another four or five hours. And my annoyances with so many myths and tips and... There's a lot of people that are old head growers that don't want to admit that all they used to do is pollen chuck. And because nowadays that's a bad term to be, you don't want to be a pollen chucker. And if you're strange or pollen chuck strange, you know, you know, oh man. Well, it's like what I was talking about Durban earlier. It's like where I was like, yo, it's a hardy land raise. So wait, the female's hermaphrodite because it's ruderalis, but the males are fucking studs. Um, well, that's, there you go. Breeding isn't, it's not, he, nothing's easy. No, no one wants to admit that the land race strains that we work with are natural pollen chuck strains by nature. Nature pollen chucked the shit out of them. So we're already working with unstable phenotypes that we're trying to stabilize and we're trying to make further better without muddying. That is the goal of a real breeder. Working with land race cannabis, trying to make stable strains out of it that are not muddied. Okay. Like I, I don't care what it is you're working with. Ruderalis. I don't care if it's auto flowers. I don't care if it's, um, photo period regs feminized. I don't care what it is. That in my opinion is the goal of any good breeder to create a strain that is a hybrid of what their, the terpenes and, and traits are trying to present while not muddying the strain and keeping the land race qualities of that strain. All strains come from land race somewhere. You know, whether it's Thailand, whether it's Russia, whether it's Canada, whether it's North America, Panama, Central America, South America, whether it's Africa, what, it doesn't matter. They're, all strains of cannabis derive from somewhere, whether they're 52 lines deep or four lines deep. And that's why I'm trying to do what I'm trying to do with these podcasts, teach you guys about breeding cannabis, um, tell you guys just the things that I know, essentially explaining to you guys the importance of these things, the importance of all of these types of, uh, of, I guess, misconceptions. There's a lot of misconceptions in cannabis and science is starting to prove them around. And you know what? As DNA lineage uh, tests get cheaper, we're going to be able to DNA hunt and prove out lines and prove whether or not these breeders are, are actually breeding proper lines or if they're throwing gelato into everything and calling it something else. So, this is the fun thing about science. This is the fun thing about, I mean, from 1970 to 2023, we are drastically at different times with cannabis. Um, 
And from 2023 to 2033, we're going to be at drastically different times. And that was weird saying 2033 out loud. Um, So it's going to be weird to see what happens over the coming of years. It's going to be weird to see uh, all the crazy strains that are kind of come about. And it's going to be that way because... You know, I hope to not only be the pollen bank out, the only pollen bank out there. I hope other people join me in my, you know, trying to preserve male male genetics because male pollen is just as important as a seed. It really is, and um, I know it's not it's not an easy thing to keep males around in a garden. But like, I can only ima- I can't imagine. I literally can't imagine how many stud genetics have just been killed because they're males because somebody didn't want to keep them, but that genetic could have unlocked a whole new plethora of just so much. So I hope more people join me in, in keeping, uh, you know, proper, you know, uh, pollen keeping methods. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to collect pollen. It takes a lot to keep a male. It takes a lot to be clean and not, you know, cross contaminate. Trust me but I will be documenting every step of the way. I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. It was a brand new style of podcast. I mean, for Spotify, you guys will probably get the same same type of vibe. You know, it'll feel the same for you guys. But for Instagram, you guys got an hour and 12 minute episode. Um, yeah, so I'm going to start doing these for you guys on Instagram. Um, my throat is dry again. Give me one second. That is everything I, uh, probably not everything I know about breeding. I'm probably forgetting a shitload of stuff. I could talk for hours about it. There's so much. Like, I, I didn't even touch on mutations. I didn't even touch on, like, leaf, uh, poignette, oh, what's that name of it? Okay, j- the, the, the jagged edges of a leaf, there's specific, it's a specific name, <clears throat> that genetic trait. And there's different types of them, so... Like I said, when you're breeding, you're you're breeding literally for so many things. It's not just a matter of taking two pretty plants and like thinking they're just going to make pretty offspring. Like, no, you got to test the flower. You got to test everything and, and make sure that these plants aren't going to muddy each other. It's going to work. It's like you have to stabilize the offspring, that, that back crossing. You have to decide, you know, when you make a strain, now you have an F1 of your strain. Now you have to decide, are you going to make F2s, F3s, F4s, or are you going to go back cross? Are you going to do BX1, BX2, BX3, BX4? Or curveball, are you going to do self? Are you going to take a mother that's a stellar strain from your collection and feminize it, meaning self it and start creating a feminized offline? Take the S1 and start back crossing it to the mother and making a feminized S1 line or just taking those, those S1s and taking a mother from the S1 and just honing it down into S2, S3, S4. So this is where some people just do S ones where they sell the S ones and the S ones are there. Whatever you have to be really, 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 um, very, very confident in your reversal process and your theosulfate spray or your CS spray to make sure that you have a above 80%, uh, feminized rate with your solution. Because if you, yes, you are taking XX chromosomes, but Um, if you do reverse them poorly, you could end up with a small portion or percentage of your seed stock that end up male or hermaphrodite. So your reversal, we didn't even break into reversal techniques. We didn't even, I'd even, I'd even talk about how to properly reverse your things and getting into that. You see how much is into breeding 
this is I wanted this to be an introduction so that maybe people who were starting to like kind of think about that it was time to mess with it. Maybe it overwhelms you a little bit and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to think twice. I need to do more research. I need to do, I need to think about what I'm going to do more. Because uh, again, I can't tell you how many people I know who have told me all sorts of crazy pollen chucking stories and it makes me cringe because they think they're doing all sorts of cool breeding and they never clean their room or tents and they've changed, they've had like four or five different males just pollinating the shit out of it. And, and all of that pollen is just constantly there, constantly putting its genetics into whatever the hell comes in there. And it's like cringy. It's just, this happens throughout the industry, but yeah, so that's my spiel. I hope you guys enjoyed. That was a very long podcast for today. Um, definitely one for the, for the books. I'll get into reverse it, reversal sprays and reversing in a future episode. Um, I'm definitely going to do more of these just like educational podcasts. <clears throat> I think people miss them. I'm going to get back into them, teaching you guys how to grow and everything. Um, but I wanted to start with just breeding because guess what? I am a breeder now. I am breeding my cannabis. And if I'm going to put the proof, proof is in the pudding, right? And if I'm going to put my name to some seeds that I say are, um, you know, bred properly, I have to be transparent, right? So here's all my knowledge. Here's what I know. Here's what I do. So, uh, what I'm working on now is my glue of the gods. That's my main strain that I'm going to be working on. That's kind of the pollen project I'm working on. I have two reversal projects that I'm going to be just like messing with as far as autoflowers, just like that I have going right now. That's just for fun. I have to clean and break down the tents after, uh, after I get that situated, uh, not, not break down, but clean up the tents and get them all situated. But the one tent is going to be a pollen tent and that's going to be my glue of the gods tent, which I'm going to work on my glue of the gods. And then I'm going to work on some sour temple chunks. So I have a bunch of strains that potentially could be males, potentially could be females. I have to take sex tests. I have to figure out which ones are which. And then as the other ones grow older, I have to do the same with all of them. I have to choose what strains we're going to do. And then I have to choose which ones are going to be either next generation F strains, flyle, or if I choose to back cross or what I choose because I still have pollen. I have lots of pollen from my previous uh, mothers and fathers that I've taken notes on, collected take pictures. I take lots of pictures and videos. Um, guys and gals, I have two phones going right now. Um, and I'm not bragging about that. I just, I keep my iPhone eight on Instagram. I'm looking them in the face right now. Uh, you guys are on my old iPhone eight. That fucker's got to stay plugged in. Otherwise it dies like 10 minutes is done. It's not a bad phone. It has a nice little camera. It has a good little, uh, the, the cameras on them are good, right? You could probably get an iPhone eight without a SIM card, just an iPhone 8 for like 50 bucks to 100 bucks off uh, Marketplace, right? Or cheaper for like 20 bucks. You get like an old smartphone with a good camera for like 20 to 50 bucks. If you do not have a good camera or your phone camera sucks currently and you are trying to be a breeder, I highly suggest you getting some sort of form of camera because you need to document your growing. There's no way your brain is going to remember every single leaf shape of every single pheno that you go ahead and hunt out. There's a reason I take pictures from start seedling, like literally cotyledons popping because my temple for freaks five times now with each one has popped out with three cotyledon traits. That means that is a very, very heavy dominant trait of some sort of mutation from the freak show that is forcing triple cotyledons out. And that is awesome. That's what I wanted for that. That the, the freak show strain for me, I'm trying to bring out fun variant 
um, mutations that are within the lineage of the freak show. So freak show is like 40 different mutations. So the, the leaves can come out a couple different ways. And then I have uh, Australian bastard cannabis seeds that um, it's a, called drunken bastard. Gorgeous. It's from seven East genetics, but I'll be playing with that because that's the, the seven East or the Australian bastard cannabis has some of the coolest leaves I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like all the things and all the, <clears throat> and breeding never stops. Like, um, I never take a day off once I start breeding. Like, uh, ever since I've got my garden up and going, it's a daily routine, two times a day, almost all the time, um, to do this stuff. This stuff takes time. This stuff takes effort. This is why I want to make it my job. This is why I'm trying to do, um, for those listening, if you, if you have enjoyed all the knowledge I've shared and you want more one-on-one and you want to, you want to pick my brain and have a personal podcast, like a legitimate, like where you just say, Hey, you know, I want to take an hour of your time and I just want to, you just answer all my questions. Uh, you can pay for that. Like I have consultation available because I've had so many people ask for that and it's only 25 bucks for an hour. It's very simple. I, I, I actually had a very happy client, um, uh, Chuck. He was very, very, he was my first, uh, consultation client and he asked me tons of questions. I was able to dive into them all for him and he actually purchased another hour. So we, we're going to be chatting this week and I'm excited to chat with him and, and see how his grow is going. But, uh, I have a lot of success with a lot of growers helping them and when they do, and a lot of people have been asking me for the consultation. So that's why I do the discord server. That's why I do these podcasts and Instagram lives. I try to do as much free education as I can, but, um, you know, people sometimes need more one-on-one. So it's there for those wondering it is there. It's on my website. You can check it out. Um, I finally have that all situated and good to go and you guys can snag stuff. Um, there's merchandise on my website. If you guys want to support anything I'm doing, I know the shipping's kind of stupid. I gotta, I gotta figure that out, man. Shipping's expensive in this day and age and it's just doing the calculated shipping off like whatever the hell it is. So I'll get that situated, but I apologize. I know shipping's gay. I can't help it. Just try to bulk order. If you're going to buy a couple things, it's just one flat rate anyways. So, but Yep. You join my discord, check out my website. There's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of cool stuff. Like I said, I'll be selling hemp seeds. I'll be selling hemp pollen. Uh, you can get all my strains that I showcase on my Instagram, on my YouTube and definitely check out my YouTube today. I have a really, really sweet auto pot video coming out for the auto flower review team. Um, I'm excited to showcase that. And this podcast will be up on YouTube, Spotify and all that fun stuff, uh, later on today which is the 10th of, what are we at, April, May? Yeah, we're in May. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, that, was a, that was a pretty long podcast. I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, please go show Visionary Hydroponics and TMB Natural some serious love. They allow me to do what I'm doing. I have nine hydro buckets in my garden right now. Insane. I actually have to go change two of them. I have to go change uh, the reservoirs because of the air pump was ass on it prior, but I got that fixed. Um, and I have 
so many TNB natural canisters I'm about to open up once those girls get popping off. Um, I got to get the two in the closet refilled and hung up today, actually, because those plants are definitely coming along. Those The canopy is wide enough, and they are starting to shoot upwards and get to the clone height that I'm wanting, the hedge line um, that I'm wanting. They're, I'm going to get them about... I think 24 to 36 inches in height. So before I take clones and I'll take 12 inch clones roughly. Um, so that's exciting. Um, eight to 12 inch clones. So that's exciting. I'm, I'm going to show you guys that entire thing. Oh, oh, last thing, last thing. Oh my God. Big shout out to the community for anyone watching, for anyone listening, for anyone who's made it this far. Okay. I need some serious help. Uh, Terpy highs, unfortunately had his entire stomped berries collection taken from him. And I am trying my very, very, very best to go ahead and source um, anyone who's grown stomp berries. If you have any seeds left or if you have a plant that you're willing to reverse and send me a seed stock, I will be willing to talk to you about trading genetics and or talking to you about getting you hooked up with either some Atlas stuff or some TMB stuff or a hydro bucket or two or something like that. Um, uh, we can talk, but I am trying to help. Uh, Terpy highs get his stomped berries back. So you guys are going to watch me reverse my stomp berries as well as I will be taking um, and growing out the rest of my pack, reversing each one. And I will be sending a massive seed stock over to uh, Terpy highs um, every time I reverse. So I'll pretty much do, I'll take like three or five clones each plant grow one clone reverse that clone that whole seed stock will be terpy highs and then i'll use the other clones to reverse for my own seed stock and allow myself to phenol hunt anymore and kind of just help him rebuild what he had um it's not easy to lose a strain like that like that my my heart and soul goes out he was a really really amazing breeder that sent that out to me a while back to test out so I'm going to try to help him out and get stomp berries back for him. Uh, Mitchell Gorgachek of visionary hydroponics actually left a comment on my Instagram and said it was one of the most terpiest strains and frostiest strains he has ever grown in his entire life. And he will absolutely keep it around. So I'm going to probably talk to him and see if he, he wants to help me out, uh, help, uh, help me help Terpy highs. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the last thing I want to add to this podcast because, uh, Terpy highs has been a really cool, uh, supporter of my channel over the years. And the stomp berries is growing phenomenally in my garden. It's widening out just, uh, it's, it's trying to, it's trying to keep up with my glue of the gods. <laughs> no, it really is. It's, it's looking beautiful. It's, it's keeping up to up pace with glue of the gods. Uh, glue of the gods has a little bit more of a wider canopy and has some, a uh, little bit more wider nodes or like more nodes, but that stomp berries is coming right up behind and is it's, it's coming up to, to catch it. So that's impressive. Um, very excited. All right, guys, much love, happy growing. And peace.